Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present... And welcome to another episode of Positive Talk Radio, everybody. And you know what? You're getting you've seen Doctor before, um, Doctor Ravi, and but you haven't seen the young lady that's on the screen with us before. And she's joined our team, and uh, and she's a a very bright young lady, and uh, is very interested in the subject matter that we have today, which we're going to be talking about mindful awareness with Doctor Ravi uh, Iyer. And uh, I said that right, didn't I, Doctor? Yeah, you did. You did. Very, very good, very good, very good. And it's it's a pleasure to have both of you here. Doctors, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Kevin. And Kajitana, pleasure to see you. You brought the average age of this meeting down, <laughs> you know, a few decades. <laughs> oh, you might be I'm pretty close. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to meet you. And uh, doctor is the last time we talked, he has a clinic in Virginia. And tell me if I get any of this wrong, doc. Uh, he has a clinic in Virginia. He worked predominantly with AIDS patients. He has a he had a progressive treatment in for AIDS and was able to save a lot of people, and also at the same time protect the workers that were working with those folks. And through a very harrowing time in 2000 and 2001. Um, he's got expertise in a lot of different fields and, uh, he's written a bunch of papers on different things and, uh, he's, he's an all around, uh, uh, progressive thinker and a really good, a really good man. So, uh, have I said any of that wrong, sir? Um, you, you got all the main points. Uh, well, you've also written a book. Yeah, no, no, but the HIV work was, was, uh, all the way from 1993 till around 2003, 2004, uh, we had a lot of work in the clinic, in uh, public uh, uh, free clinic also. Uh, also, you know, we were involved in a lot in multiple infectious disease uh, epidemics, the swine flu epidemic, and then, of course, the most, the biggest pandemic of everyone. Uh, so it's been going on for 40 years of work. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but today, you know, we covered that last time. If you want to go to positivetalkradio.net, um, you can look yeah. up Dr. Ravi and you can find his interview there. And we talk a great deal about uh, the events of, of those times. But today we want to delve into something that's a little bit different. And it's called mindful awareness. Um, describe what you mean by doctor, doctor by mindful awareness. So, mindful awareness is not new. It's uh, centuries old. It goes back five thousand years in India. Uh, it's called self inquiry or atma vidya, which is basically uh, vidya means science in Sanskrit or knowledge, knowledge or science. And Atma means self or soul. So it is basically self-knowledge or soul knowledge. And to know your own being is the focus of that methodology. And so the Indian culture is very deep in that. And they approach this aspect of self-knowledge through multiple methodologies. So contrasted to the Western uh, um, approach to self-knowledge, where it is usually, the Western approach is more regimented in a very uh, narrow methodology. You have to follow this, otherwise you ain't going to reach the goal. Uh, Indian or Hindu methodology is very, very broad and caters to uh, a wide variety of methods that will all reach the same goal. Uh, and the idea is that people are not one kind of people. There are different kind of personalities. And according to the personalities, they are best suited for one method or the other. But regardless, even though like the streams that go towards an ocean, 
they start from diverse positions in the earth, but eventually they all coalesce into a major river. And then eventually, so all the, the diverse methodologies, at some point, they all come down to one thing, and that is asking yourself, what is this entity that is me, that to whom this entire world appears? So uh, in modern times, that, that method has become formalized in Western psychology and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy as mindful awareness. And there is, everyone is now beginning to understand that there's great power in methods that approach mindful awareness. Uh, so to capture it very simply, there are two aspects to our consciousness. One is our ability to experience the world as it comes to us. And then side by side with that is our habit or our propensity to describe that experience in a form of concepts or in the form of stories. Right now, for example, we I am speaking, you are listening to what I am saying, but you are actually listening partly to what I am saying, but you are also listening to your voice tell you about what I am saying. And, <laughs> and, and a lot of people actually listen more to that voice than to the person itself. So this, and that is the reason why uh, sometimes what I am saying does not go through because what the other person is actually listening is, is listening to what he is saying about what I am saying rather than what I am saying. And, and, and he will frequently, there'll be a lost in translation or uh, an understanding of the, of the message slightly different. And if that person then repeats it to third person, uh, it gets even more different and then it gets more different. And there's a famous social experiment where you have 30 people standing in a line mm -hmm. and you each person taps the guy in front. That guy turns around and he says, do this. And that person will do it and, and he will change something about it and he'll do it. And by the time it goes to the 30th person, that person is doing something completely different than what the first person was doing. And that essentially is the concrete demonstration of how our narratives are not an accurate representation of reality. They are an approximate representation of reality. They are not an accurate representation. That is so interesting because listening as um, I, I as I teach it and is is a, is really a skill because you have to set yourself aside and what you're thinking, setting that aside to absorb what the individual that you're talking to is actually trying to say or is actually saying that you're having trouble absorbing it because your mind is getting in there saying, I don't agree with that, or that makes sense, or this is not right, or how could that be? Or, you know, in our own mind, we come up with that. Um, Cayetano. Tana. Yeah, Tana <laughs> or Kaye. <laughs> and um, what do you think? Does that does that make sense to you that we have trouble uh, um, listening to people when they talk to us? Definitely, I agree. I mean, sometimes no matter how much we want to be fully present, if we we're not Buddha, we're all gonna make mistakes because our mind is gonna continue going in a path, and we have to be aware of, of that. Realize, oh, okay, I'm thinking about it. Why? I should be paying attention to what's happening right now right but our minds constantly go but it's it's up to us to you know to 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 be fully present give ourselves to 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 the speaker and just absorb whatever is is still is, is told to us to be able to understand even when our mind wants to go somewhere i've read so many books where we, we need to acknowledge that our minds are doing this and, and say, okay, I acknowledge you, but let me continue with this because it's very important. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Doctor, what you said to me was, part of it was, the experiences that we have, and we tend to, we put a story to them that may not have anything to do with the actual experience. Does that make sense? 
Yes. So, so the narrative that we have about our reality is always an approximate representation of reality. It is not an accurate representation. So, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, there is a reason why we have this function. Um, the ability to create a narrative makes is a very powerful survival mechanism and it has evolved with human beings over millions of years. So it is not like it's a bad part of us. I'll give you the reason why. When our caveman ancestors were walking the woods of Jurassic Park, they did not have the ability to react to reality new every time and hope to survive because if they happen to encounter T-Rex once and manage to survive, and if they did not create a mental narrative, the image of the ground shaking, the trees shaking, and immediately create a narrative even before they saw T-Rex that they better run, they will not get the chance to run. They could not wait for the reality of T-Rex to come in front of them. So, the narrative is extremely important for survival. What we use is we use narratives to create snapshots of reality and use that snapshot to define our response the next time something approximate to that comes to it. That makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. The, and the other thing I just want to comment: if you are in uh, Jurassic Park land, you also want to make sure that you are walking with people who are slower than you. Yes, <laughs> I'll walk with you, Kevin. <laughs> and I, I, doctor, I'll make a much better meal than you anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm skin and bones. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so, I'm not. Anyway, go ahead. So the, the thing is, the so, see, let me let me digress a little bit. So the need to predict is universal across all species. The tiger that cannot predict where the deer is going to appear is going to go hungry. The deer that cannot predict where the tiger is going to appear is going to get eaten. So all animals from the lowest amoeba to the highest human being, is they are all wanting to find out what's going to happen in the next five minutes. And they want to find that out and they want to position themselves such that they, they are have some advantage in the next five minutes. This predictive ability, the, re, the, the need to predict is the basis why we learn. We, we study something and learn it and memorize it so that we don't have to experience it again. We can re respond. So there is great power in learning, but it comes at a price. And the price is you form prisons of concepts and these prisons isolate you from experience they isolate you from reality That's and and when the more the more you learn the more uh, experience you have the more you are only living within the memory of your experience and not the experience itself the next time it comes around and th in this way we become fossilized internally. And in this way, we become old. Our minds slow down and we stop living and we just start existing, existing within the walls of our mental prison. This is why you look at somebody, you immediately have a like or an immediately have a distaste. You all, before you even had an interaction, and this is the reason for bias and prejudice. This is the reason for love too. A lot of people get immediate physical attraction. People say, oh, the first meeting, there has to be chemistry. What is chemistry except the cumulative residue of past impressions? That's, that's Ooh, I like true. that concept, yes. <clears throat> yeah, it is the residue of past impressions unconsciously influencing who you are attracted to. 
Like for example, when I was in high school, let's say I got my first kiss, and let's say that girl was wearing a particular perfume, and I really that was my high school crush, and I and I, and that perfume is the memory of that kiss is is embedded along with that memory of that perfume. The next time I walk into a bar or into a and I happen to meet somebody wearing that same perfume, you think I'm going to be distastefully. repulsed by her i'm going to no. get attracted automatically and then you know what i will do i will look at her and i will make reasons why i should be attracted i will find, see the the That perfume is. has already predicated my response the perfume has already biased me towards liking now i have to justify it so that is my other part of us we have a second part we have a second part to our narrative and that is we use our narratives and we also have a need to feel right about it so we justify our narratives so in this way we, we this is how we go through life yeah it, it, it sure seems that way doesn't it as a matter of fact you, you know you just brought up a, a really cool memory for me <laughs> because i only know of one perfume in the entire world i, I the name of one and it's called taboo um and it's because that's what my high school girlfriend used to wear all the time and i got to the point where i said what the hell are you wearing that's so good and so you know so i get exactly so tani do you know anything about taboo have you ever smelled i never i never heard taboo before in my life <laughs> and i like right. perfumes <laughs> <laughs> if you have put it in the chat and we'll and, yeah. and, we'll, and we'll talk about it i don't even know if it's still available but yeah. this was 50 years ago so yeah um so but and your point is well taken because we end up and that is doctor isn't that what's happening today is that people are making up their own stories and their yeah. stories are getting more outlandish and more outlandish and then and a lot of them have nothing to do with reality or what's really happening and so we have a putting ourselves into a into a really uh, a place where reality doesn't exist at all yeah this is the basis of confirmation bias when people talk about confirmation bias it is come the root of confirmation bias is right here in this in this phenomenon but but the cost of this is that you uh, are not alive and i'll tell you it's a, the, the it's not just that um i'll give you a, a, an example from medicine where it really makes a difference in your options so in my work i frequently will get husband wife couples who are trying to have a baby and the story is always the same they've been married now for 8 years the first 3 years they were struggling to make their life make enough money and become successful and you know and they were not ready to have a baby because they didn't have the resources and they kept pushing it off and now it's on year 5 they said okay now we are ready to have a baby uh, it's they're not old they are still in you know, 32 34 like that still reproductively fertile all the blood tests all the tests i do show that there's nothing biologically wrong with them but they've been trying for 2 years and they can't get pregnant and i what i do is i talk to them i tell them come on over to the clinic and then they'll sit down and i'll say listen the biology of pregnancy there is the reproduction the hormonal aspect is only one thing there is something else called the neuro emotional aspect and the neuro emotional aspect requires the element of wonder and surprise for the optimum neurochemical release of hormones to facilitate conception so when you were first married everything about each other was wonderful was surprise it was new because you did not know anything about each other you were you know your your bride looks at you in a particular way and boom you know fireworks goes and you know <laughs> you know it goes on it's all surprise it's all wonder it's all magical 
then now in year six you know exactly when she turns in a particular way you know what's going on in her head when he does this you know what she's going you you know what he's thinking so this preconceived notion about each other that you have is the ghost in the bedroom between the two of you and guess what you can't get a ghost pregnant mm-hmm. True. so <laughs> <laughs> i i want to make the bumper sticker out of that you can't make a ghost pregnant you can't get a ghost pregnant. So how do you banish the ghost? So you have to understand the one way to banish the ghost, and this comes out of mindful awareness techniques that I learned when growing up in India, is our reality is dependent on our five senses. But our five senses are not equal in the way we use them to create reality. Of the five senses, which is sight, hearing, Touch, taste, and smell. Sight and hearing are what is called distance senses. They allow us to to react to reality without coming close enough to reality. So they are the two senses that make us feel safe because we can spot an enemy from far. We can hear an enemy from far. So we don't have to put ourselves at risk to know through these two senses. As a result, human beings tend to use sight and hearing preferentially 80% more to create their reality than smell, touch, and taste. We reserve smell, touch, and taste for more intimate surroundings. Why do you think we have perfume? Why do you think we have sensual fabrics? These are meant more for intimate, where proximity is high. Now, I didn't want to make positive talk into positive sex, but that's the way it is. Everything <laughs> is connected. But, but you understand what I'm saying? So one of the ways you can break through the fossilization of concepts is deprive yourself of the use of one or two senses. So I would tell these couples, next time you are in the, in the privacy of your room and you want to make a baby, approach each other without using your eyes or without using your ears or something like that. And I'll, I'll prove it to them. I'll say, here, what do you see? I'll say, it's a, it's a, it's a mug. All right, close your eyes. And now experience this with the fingers. And they'll say, smooth. It is no longer mug for them. It is round or something like that. So the reality of the mug has suddenly changed. It's a new reality. It's a new world. And this is what I tell people. How many worlds are there? As many worlds as there are sentient organs and senses. A world of an earthworm is different than your world. The world of a bumblebee is different than yours. So we have as many worlds as instruments of perception. Now, if you want if you find yourself imprisoned in one world, the only thing you have to do to create a new world is to change your perception. That is true. That's true. Yeah. And so one way, and I'm telling you, 40 years I've been doing this, every one of these uh, couples have their baby within a year of, of the session. That's awesome. Now, now doctor, I got to ask you, and uh, Tana, you can uh, uh, yeah. also... If you are, um, if you're a couple and you make the collective decision, we're going to have a baby and, but she really wants to have a baby and he's not so darn sure. And can that, can that retard the process of getting pregnant? If he's like, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. I, you know, I'm scared about it. Uh, Is, does that play a role into it as well? It's a question for me, a doctor. Uh, <laughs> well, it happened to me actually. I was getting uh, a little bit from what you're telling the story about the cup. Like, oh my God, it happened to me. I was married for 14 years, tried to have a baby for 10, and you know, you had to do all these things. We, we try everything. <laughs> and of course, our marriage didn't work out. And when I came out of the relationship, I knew, well, the last thing was I was diagnosed with premature menopause. I would never have babies, would never be pregnant. So I was devastated. Uh, my ex-husband and I divorced. So I went into my next relationship thinking, I never want to have babies. 
oh, they want to have fun, right? And, <laughs> and a year later, wow, the element of surprise. I got pregnant yep. and I have two children now. <laughs> that is that is it. She changed her reality. Exactly. And, and suddenly surprise came back. It is surprise that causes this sense of wonder, the sense of celebratory wonder that causes maximal fertility. And that fertility, I mean, you've got to have all the, all the other apparatus working and all the other things. You can't have a biological, you know, but, but the, the situation I'm talking about, is these are couples who are functionally intact. Mm -hmm. They are everything. I do all the tests first and all the tests are normal. And this, they are, they have this, this psycho mental block that's not that's preventing it. And all you have to do is release the block, and the dam breaks, and then they they are fertile. So, hey, Tana, before we go on, I just wanted to ask ask the question. So, this new relationship that you had, when you said to him, "Oh, don't worry about it. We tried for ten years, and I never got pregnant. Oh my God, yes. Pregnant." <laughs> It won't happen. And then you came home and said, guess what? I'm pregnant. He said, what? wait a minute. <laughs> Surprise. Gotcha. That was, that was something. Yeah, that was something. <laughs> Surprise. Gotcha. The guy was super happy, you know. Oh, because he didn't believe it. He's like, I don't believe that. And then when I was friend, like, I told you you could be pregnant. I'm like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> uh, so talk, talk about a, uh, a false bill of sale uh, or... But I hope you wanted to have children, but that's... Oh, awesome. yes. No, I want to have, have a baby. You know, I'm Latina, and so most Latina women want to have a baby when they're, you know, young, you know. That's, that's what happens. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, by the way, we're talking with uh, Dr. Ravi Iyer, and uh, you can go to his website, which is Iyer.com, or DrIyer.com, D-R-I-Y-E-R.com. Uh, you can find out all about him. He's got a couple of books that are out there that are that you really need to get, and we're going to talk about his books in a moment or two. But th this is a fascinating topic because um, the Reaper's Dance, by the way, is one of them, which is a thousand days of COVID, and uh, I highly recommend that you get that, get that as well. But we've been talking about, you know, it's interesting, Doctor, the cultural differences between the United States and like India. Uh, in the United States, people would not be having this conversation. Because it doesn't, it doesn't strike them as being something that's really kind of real. But in India, it's a completely different thing when you're talking about consciousness and mindful awareness and that sort of thing, isn't it? Yes and no. Um, there is a renaissance in in U.S. thought um, about the being of human beings and uh, how the inner the inner person definitely uh, in, uh, manifests in outer life. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, work that has been done by many, many people on both sides of the Atlantic, on this side, in the U.S. side and the India side. So India has uh, the plan. So the Indian methodologies are often a little bit more uh, wrapped up in the theological underpinnings of Hinduism. So I have, in my work, I extract that out and I make it available to people without the theological underpinning. Uh, and I find that much more powerful uh, because I'm able to get past certain uh, biases that people already come to the table with about theological choices that they have. So rather than get bogged down in that, I just, I usually speak to them about experience and narrative. And I talk to them about consciousness. These are things that everyone can relate to because it is part of their own personal experience. And I, and this is not just mumbo jumbo. It has real meaning. Like I'd already told you, it makes it in the realm of reproductive biology, it influences fertility. In the during the pandemic, it made a big difference in my ability to help people remain calm when they were panicking, um, when they were not sure. That, see the uncertainty of 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 imminent disease. When when every breath can potentially be fatal, when a breath, when the common uh, actions of human connection, a hug, a kiss, 
sharing uh, space within three feet of each other. Uh, if all of these things become uh, potential uh, lethal harbingers of lethal disease, uh, then humans uh, don't know where to go. The, we are a connected species. We, uh, we kind of wither and die when that connection is uh, severed like that. Uh, and we thrash like animals in a trap. So part of my work as a physician was to empower people to see what's the point of giving a medicine if they can't feel peace in their heart. If you can't eliminate fear, there's no medicine that works. So one of the first things I had to do in our clinic was to create a space where they could experience sanctuary and safety from fear. So and then we could talk about, OK, take this supplement or be like this or wear a mask or take a vaccine. All of that comes after the fact. But the first thing is you had to remove fear. So the way to do that is through mindful awareness to make people realize that this narrative that they have, which, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, I'm going to fall sick. Oh, and this might happen. I don't know what is going to happen. This narrative is not reality. It is only possibility. It is not real your actions as you they and by allowing people a space where you can shift them to starting paying attention to to their experience and help them look to people see people experience their own breath going in and out without a, a conversation about it that allows people to calm down. And when you're calm, suddenly options spring up. See, life offers you the way out of all conundrums. But you have to pause long enough to see. Otherwise, you know, in a hunter, the trap that people set for animals, every trap, if the animal did not thrash, they can actually discover the lever to set it off and to escape. Do you know that? Yeah. All traps. There is no such thing as a foolproof trap because the lever that shuts the door is accessible to the animal even from inside the trap. But it doesn't know that. And when the hunter comes, the trapper comes to the trap, he actually reaches into the trap and sets off the lever and, can't, and pulls that animal out. But it's because the animal is such is in such a state of fear. In panic. Rationally about what they're doing yeah. to get out of the situation. You're yeah. and, and then you have every now and then you have certain animals that don't freak out that much, like a honey badger. They'll figure out the trap all the time and <laughs> come out. Right. So, so, but those are species differences. But what I'm saying is life itself has the solution to the conundrums it throws at you. But you have to be able to see it and not be trapped in your own narratives. Tana, do you got a question? Does that make anything you'd like to know? I mean, this is for me, this is very fascinating. I'm, I'm... No, I'm going through as you as you expressing you're telling you the story i'm going through my own life and my own experiences because i have i have had a lot of trauma i have i'm working with therapists i have read books i practice mindfulness all of this and so i understand you know that some so many times we like fear takes all over you know you everything from you is it blind us we cannot see what what is in front of you we think the world is going to end when the solution is in front of us I know I'm, I, I practice every day. It's, 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 um, my mind continues going to places. I'm, I'm aware sometimes I go places that, that shouldn't go, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I try to come back again to what, I, what I'm now, right here, the present time, because this is what matters right here. This is my, this is my reality. Right now, right now, talking to you too. I don't have any, you know, any other thing to do, but just here, this is my reality, my life, my home. It's right now with you. Yeah. So the the thing I did when growing up, I um, I have ADHD, when I, and uh, one of the things about ADHD is the mind is going 
a million miles a minute, um, so spewing out ideas and narratives all the time. And uh, that when it's racing like that, it's impossible to be functional and to really do well. So in high school and school and high school, I, the perpetual refrain of my teachers is, Ravi is brilliant, but he, he's so distracted. He needs to focus. And nobody in my town knew anything about ADHD. So so I got a, got a lot of flack. You know, you, you are lazy. You are not focused. And that produces its own set of traumas on you. When you're growing up, you feel that you're not good enough and so on and so forth. And you struggle and you wait. But I was fortunate at the age of 17 to come across this little book um, written by a British uh, person by the name of Paul Brunton. And he writes this book called Search and Secret India, where basically he chronicles, he's a journalist, and he's chronicling his travels through India, trying to find wisdom from some of the holy men of India. And in that, he describes one meeting with this sage in southern India. And when he came in front of the sage, all the questions and all the chatter in his mind suddenly silenced up. And he had a profound direct experience of his world around him without the constant commentary of chatter going on. And it was transformational for him to experience. And the sage gave him that experience without a single word spoken. He just looked at him. And the, re the reason for that is that this sage was, is very famous in India. He, he was so grounded in his own being that all around him was the space of grounding. Anyone who came into that space automatically became grounded. Uh, and the internal chatter would, would, would shut down or at least calm down and silence up. And uh, they all had a taste of experience of being free of commentary. So imagine experiencing the world without the, the constant uh, analysis, the constant uh, definitions, the constant, constant, just like a child. Because children don't have a library of definitions made up. And uh, he, so Paul Brunton wrote about this. So when I read it, I was fascinated. He wrote about at least 25 different experiences with different people. But of all the experiences, this one experience stood out in my mind. And I was going through a rough time in school and high school and, and junior college at that time. And I I immediately researched out more books about the sage and started reading. And the more I read, the more I felt convinced that this man knew something. And I started practicing mindful awareness. I started watching my own breath. And that was an exercise that he would frequently uh, teach. That if you want to start this process, watch your breath flow as it flows into your chest and then flows out watch ride it ride the flow of your breath to its end point end point into your chest and end point outside of your chest and you keep going there while your attention is just focused on that and as i began to do that you i i would have spaces of clarity my own inner adhd chatter would would calm down and subside and i would have spaces of clarity those clarity spaces would be like flashes of light, five seconds, 10 seconds. And then over time, it went on. And this is something that I've been doing from 17. I'm now 65. So we are talking 52 years, or no, 50, 58 years of, or no, 48 years of work. Yeah. So, so, but the thing is, once... I started doing that within about five years, my academic performance started soaring because I could now focus the, the, the narratives that were going on had slowed down to the point where I could decide which narrative I wanted to allow power to. So, Doctor, can you give us uh, and give our audiences listening, and there are some people listening, uh, some steps that we can take 
to uh, become more mindful and to become more aware? Is breathing uh, the major one or are there others? There are many. The safest and easiest to do by yourself without, uh, without a trained master guiding you is watching your own breath. Um, there are many methods, but this is very safe and universally applicable, and you can make enormous progress with just that. Just watch, sit in a position of comfort, uh, initially free of distractions. Uh, watch your breath. Turn your phone off, put it on airplane mode. Um, watch your breath. Don't try to make it fast or slow. If it's fast, let it be fast. If it's slow, let it be slow. Just watch it. Watch the flow. Feel the flow. Most of us are so busy describing experience that we don't feel experience. You just, go ahead. Mindful awareness is all about sensitivity. It is all about feeling. It is like that we are so busy describing the taste of sugar that we really don't realize that it is actually the taste of sugar, the, the experience of actually tasting sugar that carries sweetness, not the description. Oh. We, we need to know that. We forget. We are all so caught up in descriptions. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so even when we start doing this, we immediately start describing, oh, this breath is going like this. Oh, maybe it's, it's because of this. Oh, why is it going less fast? What? Just let it go. It doesn't matter if it's going fast. Don't need to wonder why. And what will happen is initially your awareness will be no more than one second. And then this rush of narratives will rush you off like a stream. And then you'll, you'll suddenly wander. And then you'll say, oh, well, what was, what was I doing? Oh, okay, I got to be doing this. So then you'll come back. So it's, it's a flash of mindfulness followed by a lengthy period of mindlessness. Then again, a flash of mindfulness. And then after some time, you link two flashes together. And it's now two seconds of mindfulness. Then two becomes three, like bicycle riding. Initially, you're falling this way. Initially, another is falling this way. And then your oscillations become less and less. And then finally, one day, suddenly you have balance. Then one day you have balance. When there are training wheels, you have balance. Then later, the training wheels come off. And then you are having balance when the road is straight. Then one day, you're... You are having balance when the road is going downhill. And then finally, you are going down Kill Devil Hill and you are having balance. And you can take curves. And so, and at that point, your mindfulness is unfazed by what the life throws at you. You can stand in the middle of the sensory cyclone of life. This constant barrage of input, of stimulation coming in from all sources. We are all standing and you... Instead of getting trapped in the rim of the cyclone, we find the eye, the eye of being, where you can stand there and you can watch the sensory cyclone. And then at that moment, you have power. You have power to decide which part of the cyclone you want to really play with. You know, it's interesting, doctor, because everything that you're talking about makes so much sense. And, uh, uh, Tony, you're gonna. I'll let you. I wanted to ask. Her, yeah, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, when you were talking about Paul, Paul was it granted or granted? The outer, the grounding. Grounding. So he. Grounding. What's the name of the sage? Do you know the name of the sage that he was talking? Oh, it was Sri Ramana Maharishi. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Sri Ramana Maharishi. It's spelled as R A M A N A. Ramana, Ramana Maharishi, M-A-H-A-R-I-S-H-I. Mm -hmm. So Ramana was basically his name. It means joyful one. Joyful one. Um, That's Maha, means Maha means great. Mm -hmm. Rishi means sage. So Maharishi, the joyful, Maharishi. The joyful great sage. Mm -hmm. Oh, see that makes beautiful meaning. Yeah. 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 So so doctor, you know, in our society these days with 
the advent of cell phones and and the uh, iPhone and the computers and the TVs. They're now like 150 channels that you can watch and 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 stuff. People are not being mindful and they're not being quiet. How do you in, encourage your patients and people around you to turn everything off? And Tanya, I got to ask you: Can you turn everything off and and leave your cell phone alone and and have a mind? As a matter of fact, yes. Um, uh, my phone is I I keep it on on non-disturbed during the day. I only have a few people who can contact me in case of emergency. Uh, they can still call and I can hear their messages. But I try to like be in my place either with music that in, that inspires me to be fully present you know that puts me in the mood uh and so that way i can you know create in a better way or um podcasts that continue making me grow in, in my path spiritually and and as a you know as a mom a spirit spirit person that i'm standing here on this planet yeah uh but i try not to be too connected to the phone i was an addicted person i was addicted to facebook and that ruined me for many years until I had to take a decision because Facebook and social media was actually uh, making my, my anxiety, my trauma even worse by looking at all these images and not allowing myself to be in the present, in the present time and just be able to, to um, get better, you know? And so I had to say bye-bye to all this stuff. So this this type of approach would would have helped you had you known about it prior to today. Yes. Oh my lord, yes, for sure. You know, I discovered the world of mindfulness. I mean, early on, but I didn't know what it was until I got into in 2008. Okay, I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna I start. I started with yoga. Okay, let me do. Let me see what is this, and then I started learning more and more. I went to festivals where festivals were more about. People who are in the spiritual realm trying to be present, mindfulness, consciousness, all these type of concepts uh, that uh, people are practicing right now. So I, I started going to these uh, events and getting enlightened and, you know, learning more. And I'm now like, I want more. I want my children to get into this too. I want my children to be present. I want my children to, to notice what is around them. They don't, they don't see what is around them. They're on the phone. And so, like, you be alert, just look around. You look how beautiful this is. Just look around. <laughs> how old are you? 13 and 11. Yeah. And they're in that, in that age when every, every kid in the world's got a cell phone or a I, I, iPad or something in there, and they're all using it. But, um, Doctor, I, first of all, I want to thank you for bringing this topic to us because it's, it really is it's 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 a really is a gateway to peace isn't it yes and the greatest uh, motivator for doing mindful awareness is uh, tragedy um, nothing motivates a person to question the validity of their existence until they get some difficulties in their life so as long as life is pleasurable, as long as life is wonderful and every, you know, you are, you are, you are worth a million bucks and, uh, you know, every, there's no reason to question. Why, why would you question? Why would you question the narratives when everything is going well? You would only question it when the narratives are become distasteful, when the life that is created by the narrative becomes distasteful. So, I personally look at adversity as, you know, I'm 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 a deeply spiritual person. Uh, for me, God exists. There is, but I don't shove it down anybody's throat. But but it exists like the way I exist, you exist. Uh, it's real. So I use the word like adversity is my is is God's way of bringing you closer to him yeah, because he he begins to start showing you that this illusionary world of narratives that you have created is not the real source of happiness that f finding your own being is where is the path to where he resides and uh, 
I can tell you that it has transformed my life. It has enabled me to transform the life of other people. So, so I, like the biblical verse says, you know, by the fruit shall you judge his work. So, doctor, let me ask you. I've got, um, I got a question. Got a question. <laughs> uh, I, I, I tend to believe that uh, all experiences, good and bad, that we experience in our life are there for a reason, and they're all designed for us to become the being that we truly wish to be. And that without those experiences, you can't have, if everything is just happiness and cupcakes and, and roses, you'll never understand what life is really all about. And you'll never understand yourself. How do you face adversity? How do you come... Uh, how do you how do you re how do you forgive? How do you do those the things that is necessary for us to be able to do to become a better being and and stuff? Do you agree with any of that of what I just said, or am I nuts? No, it's it, it's perfectly one hundred percent in sync. Uh, it, it, human connection. Human beings are precious precious creatures. Um, and uh, the more you're able to see human beings as human beings and not so many tribes, so many ideologies, the better it is for you, better it is for the world. Um, and, you know, you don't need to go transform the whole world. You just need to be able to connect with one person. When you connect with one person, it is as if you're connected with the whole world. That's, that's another bumper sticker. That's very good. I like that. I like that. Uh, Tanya, what do you think? I, I think it's great. I, can, can you give us an, um, uh, maybe an example of um, quick, uh, of a quick fix when, when we get so stressed out in order to like step out of it, you know, like. So being present to the experience will get you out of catastrophe also. So let, let us say you are having a migraine. You know that migraine, and I do this with my patients all the time, they'll come into my office literally crippled with migraine headache. And they will be crying. They say, I can't open my eyes. It's hurting. All right. And I will sit them down and sure, I'll, it's not like I just talk to them, but I'll sit them down and say, okay, show me where it hurts. And they'll point to, oh, it hurts here. Okay. I said, okay, it hurts there, right? Put your finger right there. Okay. And I will put my finger there. I said, okay, can you, can you mentally focus on how big is the pain? How, what is the size? Oh, it's like a golf ball. I said, okay. You saw the golf ball. Can you feel the golf ball? Okay, yes, I can feel the golf ball. Okay, look at the golf ball. What is its shape? Where, where, where is the edge of the golf ball? Okay, I can feel the edge of the golf ball. It's right there. It's right behind my eyebrow. It's killing me. So, okay, just just stay with the golf ball. You're looking at the golf ball. What color is it? It's blinding white. Oh, now it's changing yellow. Oh, now it's red. It's, okay, good. Stay with each color. How long does it stay in that color? And they, I'll keep talking to them and make them describe their experience of the headache. And at some point, what they'll say is, I said, where's the golf ball now? He says, can you take that golf ball and throw it? He says, throw it. He says, oh, I, Doctor, I hate to interrupt you, but you moved your microphone, and this is important stuff, and I want to make sure that, can you hear me uh, that we hear it. I'll do the Verizon thing. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear you now, yes. Yeah. So I said, all right, now that the golf ball is, you, you see the golf ball? I said, How, where, where's the pain? He says, I, I don't know. The pain is not as much. Okay, now the pain is going down? Good. You still got the golf ball? Okay, hold the golf ball. I said, grab the golf ball. Throw it. So through the golf ball. Open your eyes. Where's the pain? Is it there? He said, yeah, it is there. It is much milder. So what was really true is not that I hypnotized them or anything of that sort. I got the narrative of the pain out of their head. 
the real experience of the pain was only a small part. Now that I got the narrator out of the head, now my ability to treat that real experience of the pain is very easy now. Yeah. Now I'll just give them, I'll, I'll, I'll press a couple of nerves there and then I'll give them a prescription. I said, go take it right now. Or so usually I have a supply of medicine. I'll give them that. And within 15 minutes, they're okay and they go home. But the thing is, 90% of their pain was this tightness, this, this, this panic in their head. And they would, majority of migraines are atypical migraines. True Classical migraine that requires injectable medications are small in number. When those come, obviously I'll reach for the medicine. But I can identify which one will work for what. And majority of the times, I can walk a person through a migraine. The same appears to that. It's not that I do that for everything. But, you know, I do, I do diagnose. I do send people for x-rays and CTs and so on and so forth. But, but what I'm saying is, People lose out on a huge segment of their ability to heal when they disregard a person's narrative. Is that why um, the placebo effect works? Is that a lot of times you, you can take a sugar pill and you think you're getting the medicine and then you get better? Yes. The placebo effect is, is entirely narrative-based. So the problem with people is they think the placebo effect is fake. No, it is not fake. Your narratives are real. Because you live in them. Your narratives are real. They are not fictitious. But they are modifiable. So they are a portion of reality. Narratives are a part of reality. They are a modifiable portion of reality. And reality is also modifiable, but not the same way as narratives. So you, when you're, so the problem is people live life not realizing their own power. They don't realize that 90% of their life is narrative and they can modify it and make life present itself. Once they are skilled in narratives, skilled in managing their narratives when they are grounded, then what happens is life presents to them and now they can focus all their energy on life and life that's a different set of tools. And you know what? Life begins to work for them. So enormously successful people are people who have mastered the ability to control their narrative. And some of the best people not only control their narratives, they control the narratives of the people around them. These are the natural leaders of the world. They come into a crowd. The crowd is full of chaotic narratives. They come in through a combination of their personal chemistry, their personal charm, their, their, their power of the, uh, the speech, their will, their commitment, they are able to gain the collected awareness of all the crowd in front of them. The, they, they connect with that entire crowd and your, the collected awareness of that entire crowd, they are able to communicate and they are able to shift that narrative. And they shift that narrative and give them a new narrative. And now that new narrative defines a new reality for this entire group. And if the leader is a responsible leader, then the narrative is an empowering one. If the leader is a, is a manipulative tyrant, then the narrative leads them to destruction and darkness. But regardless, the process is the same. That's, uh, that, is, that is so true. And we have got lots of tyrants through time that we can prove that that is true because they were able to take an entire, in some cases, an entire nation of people and turn them a certain way uh, and that yeah. they had no intention of going. That's right. So, Doctor, you have been, uh, it's, it's, you're going to have to come. Uh, Tanya, can we have him back? Yes, please. I want more. Yeah, I love, I love, you. <laughs> I love what you're talking about. It's such a beautiful and, and, and interesting uh, topic. And I think a lot of people nowadays are into, into this, getting into this. Um, it's a new wave, the way they call it, this new, uh, new medicine, the way to cure ourselves, to be present. And it's not a new like, way. It's a very old way. It's an old it's way. Years old. Yeah, it's coming back. I know when I was old and younger, they call it a new wave. I, I think it should be called the old wave. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
because um, um, I, I notice in my path, people that I'm meeting nowadays, um, most of them are getting into this. They, they're realizing that the ways that we used to live in the past are not, are, are not productive to our own health and, 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 and growth either. So like being present, being with you, being with, with, with the people uh, that, that we are in, 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 in that particular moment and aware of our surroundings is what is going to keep us, you know, um, um, I don't know, I think alive and with knowledge about what's happening. <clears throat> well, I agree. I agree. Doctor, what do you think? I think that anything that causes an expansion of human consciousness is always good. It's always good. Even if it's just a fraction, it's better than what was existed before. You have a disciple of somebody, then, so she's, she, she <laughs> believes in what you're doing, and so do I. I'm your uh, fan, you fun, yes. <laughs> so we, you're going to have to come back. I, we, I know it's late where you are, and you need to go have dinner and stuff like that. And yeah, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show and being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you. And and by the way, um, in Spanish, can you say be kind to one another because each other's all we've got? Him or me? You. (laughs) You. Um, Be kind with with one another because... um, Be kind to each other because that's all we got. Sé bueno con cada con cada persona porque somos somos lo único que ten, que ten, somos nosotros lo único que lo único que tenemos nosotros somos lo único que tenemos. We'll practice that because yeah. uh, <laughs> because I really want this to become and the things that we're talking about, doctor. I really want it to become a worldwide phenomenon because it's true. And if we all believe that we are all equal and we are all one and we all come from the same place and we all can go to the same place and we can all take care of each other to live our lives in concert with other people not in not in uh, defiance or in in uh, in tribalism and we can believe that we're all together i think that we would be a lot better off what do you think absolutely see narratives are the way Wars are fought. Narratives are the way negotiations are done. Transactions are done. Right now, we have narratives. There is a narrative of 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 uh, of uh, hate and uh, and uh, discord uh, in the Middle East, uh, in Europe, uh, in the U.S. There is there are narratives right now. Uh, even around the pandemic, uh, Rand Paul um, just brought out a new book on the pandemic called the deception and it's it's a narrative of the pandemic that uh, is trying to fight uh, for acceptance uh, not all of it is accurate but it's some of it is very accurate and uh, i i talk about this all the time narratives are valuable but they ca- but they are valuable only when you have control over them when they control you then you become a puppet and uh, that's the that's the real reason why people should be mindfully aware, so that they are not puppets. You said something that I think is very very vital, and that is uh, regarding this book. And I'm not going to repeat his name, uh, but regarding this book, that there are some things that are true, amongst other things that are not. Um, that's right. That's right. And he, he's hiding some of the things that are not by sprinkling in some truth. And I think that 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 is a self-serving argument, and that he that 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 if you're going to write a book, have it all be to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your research, have every word that's in it be absolute truth. And the answer to that that I would I I'll agree with you, but my feeling is. Um, the way to bring people together, even on other opposite sides of the spectrum, is to recognize that they have a, a strong belief in what they think should be spoken of as true. Uh, 
And the only index that I would use to measure truth is, does it make people's lives better? Uh, I agree with that 100%. Then the... See, empowerment is the only value for truth. Truth that disempowers is worse than a lie that empowers. So that's important. There's no such thing as absolute truth and absolute lie. It is always relative to the people. Does it empower you? Does it bring goodness? Does, and the, does the goodness be to the greatest good? not to a partisan good, not to just a few people, but everyone. Does everyone benefit? If everyone benefits from a statement, that truth is what needs to be propagated. And that's important. Well, it's like, you know, the, a lie versus a fib. A fib is when your wife comes to you and says, how do I look in these pants? And you're trying to make her feel okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just gorgeous. She's gorgeous, always. She's always gorgeous. And so it might be just a little white lie or a little fib. She's <laughs> even gorgeous when she's not wearing the pants. But then <laughs> well, you know, beyond my pay grade, doctor. You are a doctor, so you know more than about the, the, the Anyway, so I want to thank you for being here, sir. And uh, DrIyer.com, go to his website and get his book. Um, and which is Reaper's Dance, a thousand days of COVID. It's a, it's really is a, is a, is a cool read. Um, he's, a, he's a very gifted man and we, I really love having you here and, um, Tanya wants you back. So, so do I, and will you come back and see us again? Absolutely. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Kevin. Thank and, you. Yeah. Have an amazing evening. And is there anything else you'd like to add young lady before we go? Uh, um, uh, yes, I uh, had an amazing time getting to know you, Dr. Ravi. Um, I really hope that you come back again. And I'm buying your book as I speak right in a little bit. Well, no, not as I speak, but a little bit after the show, because I really want to know what you're saying there. I want to know more about you and what you do. Where are you uh, Where are you right now? I'm in Seattle. Seattle, okay. Yeah, Seattle, Washington. Oh, we have so Stan today. So you Kevin, you're in Seattle, too. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so... We and and she and I just met. Uh, I, have family, I have family Ooh, in Seattle. Oh, in Bottle, Washington. Oh, yes, around the corner, I guess. You know, I grew up from there. Yeah, uh, that's that's where I spent my <laughs> formative years. Not just uh, chasing from the police. Yeah, so, <laughs> you had to come visit us. And I lived in Virginia before, and and Roslyn. I might, I might, I might visit Seattle. If I do, I'll just shoot Kevin an email and. We'll find some time to have some coffee. Sometime. Exactly. We'd love to meet you. Love to, love to spend some time. So um, anything else, uh, young lady? Anything else, doctor? No, I'm I'm good. Thank you, Kevin. It was always a pleasure to come here. Yeah. I really, we really yeah. appreciate it. And we've had a bunch of listeners that have been coming in and out and they're listening to what you had to say. And it's what you, what you had to say is very important. So I thank you for that. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. And if you'll wait right there, kids, I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's 